This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. The Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Origi sticks it to the Toffees as the Reds continue their Premier League title march. Having sunk the Blues at Anfield, it's now over to the Yellow Submarine. We'll review the Derby, preview the Champions League semi-final first leg, pick our team and give our match predictions to on board to go through all of that. We have our Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, Tulpal Gorst, Rich Garnett and Charlotte Coates. I trust you're all well. Oh, Gorsty, I'll throw it straight over to you first. Divock Origi. The ultimate Liverpool cult hero? Yeah, no question. Um, a strange, very strange Liverpool career in that if you're looking back at his highlight reels over the, what was it, seven years he's been at Liverpool, six or seven years, you're looking at the he goals. He 2014 and then he went out on loan. He started 2014, yeah, but then he went on loan. He went straight back to Lille for the season. So if you look at his highlight reels, you're thinking, this guy looks like a complete modern forward. Looks like he's got a bit of everything, a bit of pace, a bit of power. He can finish, he can header, he can hold her up. And then the reality is, you know, he'll have 89 minutes of a complete meandering performance and then pop up and score you the winning, the winning goal. Just such a strange kind of contrast in his in his career. Um, and I actually think, you know, if Liverpool weren't playing Everton yesterday, Klopp might not have sent him on. You know, he might have looked elsewhere across his bench because he doesn't really get much of a look in these days. He's sixth-choice striker. Might even be seventh, you know, if Minamino's doing the business in, in the cup games. You know, it's, he's either sixth or seventh, so it's not a ringing endorsement. But given Liverpool's quality in that area, um, it's a difficult place to be in for him, isn't it? He's, he's never struck in someone who, who rocks the boat and someone who's going to be banging on the manager's door that he's not playing every week. But when he gets his chance... Uh, particularly from the bench, he doesn't need a whole lot. He, he might just need one half chance, one chance, and he's got his name in the in the headlines. And it's funny because a mate of mine messaged me the other day, and he he said to me, "I just feel like a really still got one big moment left in him before he leaves." And I said, "You know what? I was thinking the same myself, and I don't actually even think this is it. I th- I, I just got a feeling whether it's at Wembley or maybe Villarreal the second leg, or maybe even in the Champions League final." Or even in this title race, I just think there's one big moment left in Divock Origi before the end of the season. And Everton are going to be glad to see the back of Mamanta because he scored six against them. And, um, <laughs> you know, for, for someone who's never been a prolific goal scorer for Liverpool, he just absolutely loves the Merseyside derby. And he'll leave, as you say, as one of the biggest cult heroes ever when, when he finally does move on, which is probably going to be in the summer. Yeah, as you say, six Merseyside derby goals in six Anfield. Derby's rich. I mean, he is is the definition of a cult hero, isn't it? He's not there week in, week out, being the man leading the line, doing it. But as Gorsty said, it's it's the narrative that's been going around for a couple of weeks. Well, Divock Origi's the up the up the sleeve, kind of still there in the pack to be chosen when needed. And I, I'm completely with Gorsty. I, I I felt there's that moment left, and I'm not even sure Sunday was it. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I don't know if we do him a slight disservice by calling him a cult hero. Really, sometimes, sometimes when you think of cult heroes, you think of people like uh, Igor Biscan and uh, Jimmy Triori, those sort, those sort of characters who, 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 who perhaps weren't the greatest but contributed in different ways. I think maybe Origi is a little bit more than that. You look at the goals that he scored, the key goals. It's like a big game player. He's a sort of like Dirk Cout as a player who just had a knack 
of, of scoring on, on the very biggest occasion, all those most important goals. And he's, he's just continued to deliver time and time again when called upon. But I, I, I actually interviewed him um, after a, a Europa League game years ago. I can't remember which one it was. And I was under Brendan Rodgers. But it, he was he came across as someone um, who had a, a fantastic attitude. You know what I mean? He had a lot of time to speak to people. Um, seemed quite quite humble individual. Someone who was... Uh, you know, just wanted to was was happy to be a professional footballer at a great club, uh, and and you know probably probably caused no problems for managers whatsoever. I'm sure you know he, he obviously would want to start more games than he has done in his Liverpool career, but it, but his attitude uh, has always been absolutely spot on. Bit of a manager's dream, really. And I remember um, it, it was Lille he went back on loan to, wasn't it? And there was, there was talk of him. I'm sure at the end of that loan spell, there was talk of him moving away at that point. But I remember him being quoted as saying, "I think the best uh, decision for my for my career is to work under Jurgen Klopp," and that's exactly what he's done. And you know, he's never he's never actually broken in, uh, in into that top three with any sort of regularity. Um, bit of a tall order to get into uh, such an incredible uh, strike force, but. It, it, it hasn't necessarily been a bad thing for him. Look at the success he's had. Look at the look at the honours he's got on on you know on his CV. Unbelievable. And the the real question about Origi is is what what material are you going to use to make his statue out of? Because surely, surely to God, somewhere down the line, he, he is going to be remembered uh, for, for what he's done for this club. And I absolutely agree. We have not seen the last of him this season. There is one big moment left in his Anfield career. Yeah, most definitely. Charlotte, what do you think of the, the, the psychology from Jurgen Klopp of bringing on Divock Origi in the Merseyside derby? I mean, it was mentioned on, on commentary by Jamie Carragher. He said it there. If it wasn't Everton, would Origi even have come onto the pitch? But such is the occasion. It's it's just the kind that he exactly rises to. Just shows the uh, the trust that Klopp put, puts in uh, his players because, like, like it was said previously, He's not had he's not had a look in for weeks. He's he's barely even been seen. Um, so the fact that like yeah, Liverpool were in control of the game, but it was nil nil. Everton were looking dangerous on the break at times, and could have been one of those games where it just derails the title race completely. Um, and then all of a sudden you see obviously Luis Diaz were always going to come on, and then you see Origi coming on as well, and it just shows how much Klopp trusts trust him after not playing him for so long purely because he knows he's the man for the big occasion but also he loves going against Everton Yeah, most definitely and, and Klopp said in the, the press conference afterwards and he called him a legend and says he's the best finisher at the club as well. Gorsty, you referenced it before though, is is that perhaps the parting gift to the cop? He he may well strike again but it does look as though his time at Anfield could well be coming to a close this summer yeah, well, it's looking like he's going to move on this summer, doesn't it? I think Liverpool had an option to extend the contract, but I think that possibly might have been appearance-based, um, going back a, a few months, trying to remember, speaking to a couple of people. But, yeah, I just think with Liverpool now, they've got five that go into three, haven't they, and chop and change it accordingly. So, you know, if you're seeing a Rigi, something somewhere is, isn't quite working, something's gone, not gone quite according to plan, and Liverpool are kind of rolling the dice, throwing him into the mix. Um, either that or it's a it's a kind of low-key game, but there aren't going to be any of them between now and the end of the season for the Pilates. So 
Um, if we do see him again, it will be because Liverpool are taking a little bit of a risk. But that is kind of what sums him up, isn't it? You know, when Liverpool desperately needs someone, he seems to be the man who can come up with with the goods. Um, I wrote yesterday about the goal he scored against Everton in 2018. You know, the close range header against Jordan Pickford at the cop end late on to, to see a Liverpool win. And this was the same story, wasn't it? Kind of bookend of his career because what that goal kind of reignited his career because I think the Bill played um in the Champions League earlier that week. I can't remember who it was against. I read Star Belgrade away in the Champions League and I remember Rigi coming on. I remember thinking, is, is this how desperate Liverpool have got? The reaching for a read because he, I don't think he'd played all season up until that point. Later that week, he scores against Everton and his, his career is reignited. He goes and does what he does against Barcelona. He goes and scores in Madrid. Obviously, the header against Newcastle as well to keep Liverpool on the coattails of City in the final weeks of the campaign. So he's just made a, a real habit of scoring hugely important goals. And then everything else... Um, it's just fairly ordinary. You can never really point out a game where you think, oh, he was absolutely unplayable that day, and but didn't quite get his goal, or you know, you know, he's laid on an assist for someone else. It's either huge moments of, you know, something that fans will remember forever, or you're not getting a whole lot else. And it's just such a kind of strange contrast of a career. But that, in a way, sums up the enigmatic Divock Origi, I guess. Yeah, even you look at his record this season, 101 Premier League minutes across six appearances, three goals in there as well, Rich, the goal against Everton, he scored in the defeat at West Ham and and also, of course, the key goal at Molyneux earlier on in the campaign. I'm just thinking next season with the five substitutes rule coming in in the Premier League, is that not changed the thinking? I know Gorsi said there is contracts actually up or however it is, but would there not be an argument keeping him about? If Divock Origi stayed at Liverpool, I, I certainly wouldn't be disappointed. But I think you've got to be fair to the player himself. Um, he's been very loyal to Liverpool. Obviously, he's paid, paid very well. Good contract, great club to be at. But he, he will have had, you know, looking at his goal, his goals per minute record and 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 whatnot. You know, he, he will have had plenty of suitors from from other clubs. Obviously, he's been very strongly linked with AC Milan. Uh, um, for, from the end of the season, but it, it won't be just them that'll be interested in signing Divock Origi. And I think he's he, he feels like he's been there forever, doesn't he? But he's a, he's actually only just turned twenty seven, um, so which is you know more or less around about the peak for a centre forward, isn't it? So um, th- this is probably a moment where he's at cross, crossroads in his career. He's he's won everything you can win with Liverpool. He could finish this season still incredibly could finish it with four different major honours. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, and, and you know, what you do after that is he, he, he probably knows in his heart of heart he's never going to be a regular starter. So it, it, it's more about Divock Origi than Liverpool, I think, this. Um, and he probably deserves to go to a club where he can be the main focal point and, and with, the, with plenty in the bank from what he's achieved uh, at Anfield and in his, his Liverpool career, uh, go on to something new and, and, and make a different impact. I think it would maybe maybe it'd be a bit uh, selfish to keep him. Okay, final point then, solely on Divock Origi, Charlotte. I suppose if he's to move on and, and go, as Richard there, AC Milan, the club heavily linked with securing his, his signature. I suppose the, the key thing is 
he doesn't stick around in the Premier League because the one thing Liverpool wouldn't want is him coming back to haunt them. Yeah, it seems like with the goals he scores and stuff, it's such strange moments, really. You feel like if he did play against Liverpool, he'd end up scoring. Um, but yeah, it's actually quite... I mean, we don't know for sure if uh, anyone from the Premier League is in for him or not, but obviously AC Milan are a great club. Um, change scenery, you're living in Italy and they're a great historic club. Um, but you, you'd have to think that like some Premier League clubs would be in for him because... Like yeah, he's not been a regular at Liverpool, and his his goal scoring numbers aren't aren't great. But you can there's a player there. You can see like with his his physicality, his, um, his finishing, and what he's done for Liverpool at times. That I don't know. It'd be quite quite strange if he didn't have any offers from um to stay in the Premier League. But yeah, him at AC Milan, you feel like as a, as a Liverpool fan, you. You want him to go and, and and do well because of what he's done. It's one of them where it's like you understand why he's leaving, and like Rich said, it's better for it's better for his career. And at AC Milan, he'll be at a great club, hopefully playing Champions League football, and yeah, just playing as much as he deserves, really. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Of course, do you want to get into some of the Everton antics and the, the rest of this, kind of the gameplay from the derby as well? But the crucial moment was when Origi and Luis Diaz came onto the pitch. Of course, they linked for that <laughs> second goal. Origi even involved in the build-up for the first one, teeing off Salah, who crossed for Andy Robertson. But but Luis Diaz, just that double change as well and him coming onto the pitch, that touch he took, the assist he got as well. I mean, you run out of kind of superlatives for the impact that he has on the game. And it kind of leaves me to wonder, is he the signing of the season in the Premier League? He only came in in January, but division-wide, I can't think of another player who's had the impact he's had. No, he he, he has. Um, and what he's kind of benefited from as well is he joined Liverpool at a time when there was a couple of weeks break in between fixtures, you know, the, the winter break and... Liverpool were able to get Thiago fit and cater back from the Africa Cup of Nations. Harvey Elliott was fit. And then all of a sudden, Liverpool played the next game. I think it might have been Cardiff in the Cup. And you're looking at the squad and you think, oof, like, what a, what a squad Liverpool have got almost out of nowhere because for so long, the kind of mainstream narrative was that if Liverpool got one or two injuries, then they'd struggle to, to cope with City. And they only signed one player and then all of a sudden it was, wow, look at this squad that's surely the strongest Liverpool have ever had in the Premier League era. So I think he's he's benefited from that. But there's no doubt that he's probably um been a little bit of a surprise package actually because I think you know people knew that Liverpool was signing a, a good player. There was perhaps a an idea that he might be a little bit of a backup for Sadio Mane between now and the rest of the season. He'll need a full pre-season to come in and then he can start to challenge the other three or four for a place. But He's, um, you know, we starting Carabao Cup finals. He's starting FA Cup semi finals. I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing in a Champions League semi final on Wednesday night. Um, he's just absolutely hit the ground running. Um, and I've seen, I've seen, noticed Jurgen Klopp speak a few times saying there are a few, few more things that we want from him on the defensive side of things, but that can wait. We, we'll get that, get that message across during the full pre season. We're for now, we're not just giving him reams and reams of instructions. It's just, just a case of go out there and, and do your stuff. And what a player he has been. Um, was it three goals, I think? Possibly four. That doesn't really do justice to the impact that he's had. He's just given everyone a massive lift at a time when 
Liverpool needed it really. You know, they had a bit of a stumble in late December and, and the, the draw with Chelsea in early January left many people thinking that the title race was done. So he's come in and um, by the end of February, he was a Carabao Cup winner and Liverpool are now competing on all fronts. And um, it's just a, a special time to be a fan, a special time to be a journalist covering it, a special time to be talking about it, writing about it. And um, Diaz can take, you know, a big portion of that credit because, as I say, just give everyone a little lift, didn't he? So, uh, not I, I, you know, it's a good debate whether he's the sign of the season or not, but um, I just think he's he's just had a massive impact in such a short space of time as well. Yeah, Rich, what's your take on it? I mean, three goals in nine Premier League games. He's got a couple of assists as well. I mean, the numbers aren't really kind of leap off the page. Oh, look at exactly how brilliant this guy is. And we love the phrases of, of generational transformative when we're kind of talking about signings in this day and age. But he has been transformative, hasn't he? Not maybe individually in what he's done for Liverpool, but the way in which he just seems to have unlocked so much confidence, extra confidence and exuberance within his teammates as well. Well, are you not entertained? I mean, what a player this guy is. It's unbelievable. You have to remember he's come to England from... Portugal, I'm not too sure how good his English is. He's coming to a new culture. He's coming to uh, a team that plays in a very specific way, which is specifically drilled by Jurgen Klopp and often sees players, big, big, big signings, not play straight away whilst they're embedded into that sort of Klopp philosophy of, of how he likes his, his players um, to perform. It seems to be a rule breaker with Luis Diaz. He... He, he's, he's playing without. He seems to be playing free without restrictions. He's playing. He's playing with a freedom and a, a confidence that I don't think I've, barring maybe Luis Suarez, I don't think I've ever seen a player come in just fresh like that and play with such a level of confidence. I mean that that control he did um, on the uh, Camelon Road touchline, you know, in the middle of a Merseyside derby, a high stakes match. Uh, was absolutely out of this world. I mean, I wa- I'd watch that all day, you know. Um, and but it's not just that. He's got he's, he's such an eccentric player, such an exciting player. And there's no one at the moment. If you look at the, you know, we've got so many good players. But but if there was one player out of all before a match, you're thinking, oh, I can't wait to see how he plays. It's Luis Diaz. He's brought that level of excitement, of of energy, of entertainment. It's the whole reason you watch football, isn't it? Is to be entertained. It's a break from um, you know, from from the trappings of life, and 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 he he brings the lot. He's the full package, and I do think he's going to add a lot more goals to his game. Um, I, that I'm certain. You know, he might might not have got loads of goals so far, but when you're competing with the likes of of Salah and Mane and, and Jota, um, it, it's difficult to share them all around uh, so quickly. But uh, there's definitely more goals to come from Diaz. I'm expecting to get a boatload next season, but um, it, it it is a rival. It's kind of, and it was almost by accident, wasn't it? In a way, because obviously they've been they've been uh, tracking Diaz for a while, but he, he's only at the club now because of Tottenham's movements in the January transfer window. It didn't it didn't appear to be uh, an imminent sign and one 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 for the end of the season. But the the fact that he has come in is, is given Liverpool this extra dimension and, and allowed them to continue um, to uh, attack a quadruple. So you never know; it might be the happy accident that uh, wins. Liverpool honours this season, but yeah, he, he he's the most exciting player on the pitch at the moment for me, and you know I can't wait to see him play again. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Charlotte, what's your take? And, and I mean, that touch as well, even at the end of that move, he wasn't far away from scoring either. Jordan Pickford did well to to keep him out. But do you have him up there as the, the signing of the season? Yeah, I think I think the impact he's had at Liverpool, where Liverpool, the team, it's full of great attackers. Like you've got your Salah's, Mane's, like Salah was best player in the world at one point in the season. So you're coming into that team already and, and you're standing out, you've got to be pretty special. Um, but he's one of those players where I don't know what if, if he's not in the starting eleven, then you're kind of disappointed because you think, Oh, I want to watch him, I want to watch him play because he's exciting and there's he's, he's he's fearless when he's on the ball, he attacks people. Like he's not he's not the most skillful in the sense where he's doing loads of step overs and stuff like that, but he beat he attacks players and he beats a man. And like Rich said, it, it's what you want to see in football, you want to be entertained. And he, he entertains as much as anyone in that Liverpool side. And I feel like maybe it's where Manny, the last season or two, it's where he, he's he's dropped off a little bit with, like when he first came to Liverpool and for like three years or so, he was absolutely electric, beating his man and attacking his man. Whereas now it's like his game's evolved a bit into going a bit more central and like he, he's so strong on the ball and... He creates he create space for players, whereas Diaz has like kind of taken up the role that Mane had in the side from a couple of years ago, where he'd you'd get him, you'd give him the ball, and you just know that whoever's playing right back that day for the opposition, they're just they're going to be in for a torrid time. Yeah, definitely. It's a generational before as well. And I think, what, 26 years ago, a Colombian winger came in midway through the title race to Newcastle United, Tino at Spree. He was all about party off the pitch. Luis Diaz party on the pitch and certainly looks as though he could perhaps have the reverse impact and be the man to take Liverpool to the title. We'll have to wait and see. But Gorsi, let's talk about the derby then itself. A huge incident in terms of a penalty appeal for Everton. Anthony Gordon, Joel Matip running across. What was your take on that one? And of course, a, a bit of talk as well that Sadio Mane perhaps gave the referee an option whether or not to, to to send him off. Of course, it was just the yellow card, but those two are the big talking points out of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Everton have made them talking points, haven't they, by writing to the PGML, PGMOL today, um, bemoaning why the penalty wasn't given. Um, I, I, I try my best to avoid talking about referees and decisions because I just think far too much of the football and landscape is just dominated by what the man in the middle does with his whistle. I think too much time, it's not enough of the focus on the players, the tactics, the, the managers and the nuances of the game. Um, and I don't think these decisions are kind of major enough to, to reflect on too much, if I'm honest. I think the first one was a dive. The second one can go either way. Everton had a penalty in 2017, I think it was, for less than the one that Gordon went down for under Matsup's challenge. But so, so what if you know these things happen, don't they? Liverpool could quite easily go up the other end and say that Divock Origi could have had one on when Michael Keane blocked them off. I didn't think that was either. So these things happen. And I think writing to the to the referees about it <clears throat> is a bit, um, I don't know, it's a bit futile, is it maybe? I can see why they, see why Evan did it when Rodri was accused of, of the handball that never got given because that's a little bit of a different one. That's not a, a, a foul. Rodri didn't have anyone within 10 yards of him with his hand and moved on. I can see why Liverpool did it last season when Jordan Pickford's tackle ended the verge of Van Dijk's season and no one batted an eyelid. I can see why at times clubs want clarification over certain incidents, but when it's a, 
a decision like this, <clears throat> it's, it's going to be a pretty short answer, isn't it? The referee didn't think it was a penalty. Let's all move on. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, when you've got 17% possession, um, you don't really, you can't have any complaints if you don't win the game. Obviously, there's, there's a way to go about it. There's more than one way to skin a cat and... I've got no problem with the way Everton set up yesterday, but when you don't win the game and, and you've only had 17% possession, you can't really start bemoaning the fact that you didn't win the game. Yeah, definitely. Completely in agreement with you, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about the referee either and his officiating. But, Rich, does that then underline the brilliance of Jurgen Klopp, the, the management in-game that he showed, to effectively take the referee out of it? Because first half, it was a very scrappy game. At one point, it did look as though it may well have boiled over. But on the hour mark, he makes the change. And all of a sudden, didn't matter what the, the man in the middle was doing, Liverpool were going to win that game. Yeah, it, it, it's no foregone conclusion that Liverpool will win every game that they play in, regardless of the opposition. I looked at the Man United match last week and I thought to myself, before the game, Liverpool will win this match easily. I had no doubt about that, and and and, and that's how it turned out in the end. But Everton was always going to be uh, a different story. You know, they, they needed to come up with something. They're always going to, uh, from from what I've seen, they're always going to be far more better applied than, than than United were, and and that proved to be the case. And uh, first off, I think you do need to give credit to Frank Lampard for for the tactics that he did employ, because whether you hated them. Uh, the, the bottom line was he managed to disrupt Liverpool, uh, and 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 maybe uh, the ref, the rest, some of the strange refereeing decisions or or, or lack of them uh, was a contributing factor to that. But 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 it, his tactics stopped Liverpool from playing. It stopped them from creating chances. It stopped them from from having any sort of flow. Um, but the second half was a different story, and it was just a case of I think getting the players in and and, and Klopp speaking to them and, and coming up with a plan B, um, because you can't you know he always plays the same formation uh, to, to a degree until he ended up with four four uh, forwards on the pitch. But there, there's more than one way to win a football match, and and the the energy that came in that second half was absent in the first half. It was almost like by keeping the ball, obviously very high possession rates, by keeping the ball, we'll wear Everton down, we'll, we'll get our chance and, and, you know, we'll go in half-time with the lead. That never happens. That Liverpool, for me, weren't moving the ball quick enough. They weren't being decisive enough. They weren't being aggressive enough. All that was there in the second half. And, and if you take those, you know, the sort of those penalty incidents and whatnot out, out, out of the, you know, out of the equation, in isolation, they, they clearly did enough in the second half to win the game. So another job well done for Jurgen Klopp. He's answered the question that's been asked of him by the opponents, and uh, it's another three points. Yeah, definitely, I suppose it'll be another Merseyside derby remembered for Divock Origi, Charlotte. But we spent fifteen minutes talking about him at the start of this podcast. But another, the key key player in the game was Andy Robertson. Not only got his goal his first in front of the cup, but also that I suppose goal line clearance. I mean, it was it wasn't going in, but Deli Ali was waiting to tap it in, and he showed the determination and hunger to get across him to clear it. I mean, it's not been the easiest of seasons at times for Andy Robertson and Costas Simakas has really given him competition, but he, he like the team, is coming to the fore when, when most needed. Yeah, he's he's probably the one player that you'd, you'd look at and where Jurgen Klopp would probably be like, yeah, he's exactly what I want from this side. Um, the effort he puts in and his determination, obviously, his level of skill, he's a fantastic player. Um but yeah, he had a 
I don't know. It was like questions were asked um, about him this like at the start of the season, and people were calling for Simicast to start because, like, credit to Simicast, he's a good player. He's a great backup. Um, but it was kind of like Robertson was being a bit underappreciated. I feel um, earlier on this season because what he's done for, since joining Liverpool, he's been fantastic. Like the numbers he's posted with assists and defensively, he's fantastic. Where I know he's got Van Dijk next to him and stuff like that, but he, he very, very rarely gets beaten. And positionally, he always seems to be there. If, like yesterday, clearance needed to be made, he was there. Um, and he was the unlikely goal hero, where a goal looked like it would come in for Liverpool in the second half, but you would you would just think like no no clear cut chances were being made. There weren't there weren't merely a chance where you where you can say oh you should have scored then because um, Everton were defending well and when you like some Salah got on the ball it were like well he's up against his fullback and then two others so it was it was tough but then all of a sudden good balling good bit of play good balling by Salah and. There's Robertson, and it just he deserved it really. It was it was great to see, and in his celebration, you could see how much it meant to him, and obviously how much it meant to Liverpool because kept the title race alive. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on from the title race then, and on to Wednesday night and against Villarreal. And of course, I suppose given kind of the way in which they dealt with Bayern Munich in the previous round, Villarreal was was Sunday kind of the ideal opponent in Everton, not in terms of the derby, but in terms of the way they set up and really looked to contain and counter. That was definitely the, the MO for Villarreal in the last round. And Liverpool have now come up immediately against an opponent who have tried to sit in deep and, and shown how they deal with them. Yeah, it's very similar. Obviously, Villarreal are um, much better in, in possession and keeping the ball and moving it and, and counter-attacking generally. They're in the Champions League semi-final of the Europa League holders. Um, they've obviously beaten Bayern Munich and Juventus on route as well. Um, but I don't think there's any getting away from it. I think Liverpool, inside the club, Jürgen Klopp, the players, the coaching staff, I think they will give Villarreal every single bit of due respect that they deserve. But outside of the club, I think everyone has to be realistic and accept that this is an absolute dream of a draw for Liverpool. The one team standing between them and the Champions League final is Villarreal, who last time I looked at about seventh in La Liga. So it's a team who... who you know, seems to have a very clear identity from what the little I've seen of them under Unai Emery, who is <clears throat> weirdly looked at as a bit of a comical figure in English football just because he didn't quite pull up massive trees at Arsenal. Um, but he's one of the he's one of the best managers <clears throat> in European football, if, if you understand what I mean, in terms of European competitions. He's won the Europa League quite a few times with Sevilla, hasn't he? And he obviously <clears throat> won it again with Villarreal last season and He's got the uh, the yellow submarine to the semi final, so Liverpool can't underestimate them. But as I say, it's a it's an ideal draw for for the Reds, and <clears throat> I fully expect them to go past them and, and make it to the Champions League final. But <clears throat> it won't be a foregone conclusion, and and Jurgen Klopp, I'm sure he'll be telling us all in his press conference tomorrow that that is the case. Yeah, they've not played rich since the, the 19th of April. So obviously the, the middle of last week, they've had kind of a week and a bit off or eight days before this game to build up for it. I don't know if that's La Liga having moved their fixtures to help them out. We know Jurgen Klopp's view on that with the Premier League and we'll talk about Newcastle, I'm sure, later in the week and the lack of flexibility that has been shown there. But in terms of you know Emery and, and what he's done in European football, as Gorsty said there, I think 
Klopp called him the, the king of the knockout cups, didn't he? And I, I suppose he is one of those. He's, he's a modern legend, as it were, in terms of knockout competitions in Europe. And, and Liverpool have kind of seen that firsthand in the past when he was at Sevilla. Yeah, they have. And, you know, you look back at uh, uh, Liverpool losing to Sevilla, uh, it, that's kind of the start. Sometimes I always say you have to lose to win. And that was kind of the start of Klopp's uh, um, really... You know, legacy sort of kicking on and and, and taking Liverpool onto greater things, and you you get a get a bloody nose in the process. Learn learn from it, and 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 know what to do right the next time. And and you'll be all too aware of um, of of what Villarreal's superb manager is is capable of doing. And, and and he'll have a team set up. He'll have a plan. He'll come to Anfield. Maybe he'll try and disrupt like Everton did, maybe in a different way. They'll try and keep the ball more, as Gorsty said. Um, and and it's not going to be an easy game for Liverpool, but, but it is the easiest opponents out of the teams left in the competition on paper. That, that That's that's a fact. Um, but having said that, any team that beats Bayern Munich over two legs with players like Robert Lewandowski uh, on the pitch are need uh, are deserving of respect. I think it's not normal. You, you always want, ideally, from a from a supporter's perspective, you, know, you always really want the second leg at Anfield, don't you? And you know you can take the game. The atmosphere will be sensational, and and and, and if it, things go right, you've, you've got a great celebration at the end of it. But I don't know in, in this. In this sort of scenario, uh, with all the other things going on in other competitions as well, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Liverpool play first this time round, uh, especially if they can put on a really good performance uh, on Wednesday night. And if they are able to do what they did to Roma a couple of years ago and, and, and blitz them out of the park, then, uh, you know, Jürgen's going to be able to be a bit more uh, pragmatic about how he sets up over in Spain uh, for the second leg, and might and I'm not. I certainly wouldn't. I don't want to say he's going to start resting players and stuff like that. But they, they need to they need to deliver the goods first on Wednesday night. But but if they if they are if they do have the that opportunity to do it, if it arises and they are able to uh, build up something of a substantial lead, then looking at the at the Premier League and looking at the FA Cup, um, it, it will be advantage Liverpool. Uh, looking at the wider picture. Yeah, let's, I suppose, cut to the chase with it, Charlotte, and, and be real about it. And that is certainly a realistic prospect, isn't it, for Liverpool? Try and drum up a, a two or three goal lead. And I wouldn't say take their foot off the pedal. They saw only three seasons ago what a side in a Champions League semi-final would do if they kind of take it for granted that they're already through. But this is a real significant opportunity to try and do what they did in the, even the last round against Benfica and wrap the tie up effectively in the first game. And then be ready to switch all concentration over to the to the Premier League for a little while. Oh yeah, well, with, with the size of Liverpool squad these days, it, it's it's hard to actually like changes can be made, and like even you get five changes made, and you still think like, what what team that is. Um, and then obviously you've got a bench that is ridiculous. So if it's needed, then you've got that firepower. But it is it's kind of like I don't know. I think it's quite good that Liverpool. I've got um, the first leg at Anfield purely for that reason because it is like obviously it's a semi-final of the Champions League and Villarreal are going to be no pushovers at all um, and it'll be a tough game but you're kind of hoping if Liverpool can get a goal then maybe get a couple more and then you're thinking 
obviously going to uh, Spain with two goal lead, you massively fancy in Liverpool. And I don't think that would be a big enough lead for Klopp to make changes as such. Um, but you're thinking if you can get a, like a three-goal lead or something, then you're thinking the tie's done, really. Like something disastrous would have to happen um, over in Spain for Liverpool not to go through. But, yeah, it's it's the only game, really, where you can kind of think, well, if Liverpool do get a lead, then can maybe best a few in the second leg um, because... Obviously, you've got final of the FA Cup coming up, so strongest team. And then every Premier League game is kind of like a final because, you know, if you drop points, even if you draw, it's done really, isn't it, with this this close to the um, end of the season. And it's quite a strange thing to say, actually, that the second leg of the semi-final in the Champions League is actually the one game where Klopp could rest some players. Uh, Ghostly final one before we pick our, our team for the game. Just in terms of the Champions League and now it rocks back round and it is the last four. Does yeah. it wake you up once more to kind of the significance of it? And I mean, Liverpool can't pick and choose which tournaments they are going to win, but you go back to 2019 and Man City did a domestic treble, which had never been done in English football before. And yet everyone talks about the Champions League win of Liverpool 2019 and being out in Madrid and what that was for Liverpool and how it catapulted them on the following year. And then winning the Super Cup and becoming club world champions. Chelsea this year, everyone's spoken about them as champions of the world, champions of Europe. It does hold a special significance, doesn't it? As much as there are so many other fronts to be battling. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest competition in in club football, isn't it? There's no no doubt about that. Um, personally, I think if you asked me what I feel most Liverpool fans would rather win this this season I'd say it's the Premier League purely because supporters never got the chance to celebrate it in 2020 did they but if you're asking any other normal normal season um or say say for example Liverpool did win the Premier League this season and then you're going again in August you know I'm still saying Champions League is the one that you're looking to win the most um some interesting comments from Mo Salah on that speaking to ESPN Brazil possibly last week he said at the start of the season, he wrote down his aims for the season and he put Champions League number one and Premier League number two. Um, so it, it, it just resonates with, with footballers, with football fans and um, it just you, you just get a little kind of status, don't you, when you've won the Champions League. It's just easy European Cup winner. It just means so much more than a domestic title wherever that title has won. Um, so yeah, I think Champions League will always be the the, uh, the, the big one, particularly because Liverpool have got such a great relationship with it over the years. I mean, they've won it more, more times than any other British club. Obviously going for the seventh title this season. So, um, yeah, it's, there's always a little special kind of allure of the Champions League. And it feels a bit weird that, you know, it's, we're two days out from this Champions League semi-final. It doesn't really feel like it at the moment because I think the identity of the, the team they're up against, they're probably going to be massively heavy favourites, you'd imagine. And, um, hopefully, uh, on Wednesday night, when it comes to it, it will start to feel a little bit more special, a little bit more like these things shouldn't be taken for granted. But at the moment, it just feels a little bit, don't know, subdued at the moment. Maybe that's because we've just come off the heels of a, of a Merseyside derby, I'm not sure, or the fact that Liverpool have just got so much to look forward to and to focus on at the moment. But, um, yeah, the Champions League semi-final at Anfield, under the lights, um, always going to be a massive occasion. OK, let's pick our team then for the Champions League semi-final first leg with Villarreal. 
Uh, Alison in goal. Rich, you can lead us on the, the back four. What are you thinking? Okay, we have uh, Trent right back. Canate uh, back in as he seems to be a, a bit of a uh, European fixture. I don't see that changing. Virgil van Dijk and uh, goal scorer Andy Robertson. So no real surprises in the back four there. But yeah, Canate back in for Matip uh, following the trend of the previous rounds. Do you go along with that, Charlotte, or are you thinking other changes? Yeah, no, that's that's what, exactly what I was thinking. And Gorsi, complete the set, is that right? Yeah. No, uh, I'm, I'm keeping faith with Matip. I think weighing them up individually, there's not much to choose from between Canate and Matip uh, unless you're really drilling down into the specifics. But I just think Liverpool tend to be a lot more solid and, and I think the lack of goals conceded will reflect that when Matip plays alongside Van Dijk. So um, and we know Matip can't play every game, but I'm going to be putting them in for this one. OK, Charlotte, what about the midfield? What are you thinking for the three? In there? Uh, Fabinho... With Thiago, and then I'm going to go for John Henderson to come back in because I do really like the midfield of Fabinho, Thiago, Kate, and they showed in the FA Cup semi final just how good they can be. But didn't really think Kate did much yesterday to uh, warrant staying in the side ahead of um, Henderson and Champions League semi final. You've got to start your captain, haven't you? Is this going to be the area of the pitch course where maybe there's the most consideration given to it given the tight turnaround? So the Newcastle game? Yeah, we know Klopp can't stand Wednesday nights, Saturday afternoons, you know, or Saturday mornings even really, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I think I agree with Charles. I think Henderson will come back in. I was actually surprised that Thiago started yesterday. I had a slight inkling that Curtis Jones might have got a nod and I thought there might have been a couple more changes than there actually was. So um a little bit surprised by that, but I think he might just keep Thiago in there, even though we know that... He's not someone who can play loads and loads of games in quick succession, can he? But I think he's just on such good form that it'd be a risk taking him out. And, and Fabinho is, is an automatic alongside Van Dijk and, and Alisson for me these days. Has been for a while, to be fair. Yeah, Rich, what are you thinking? Um, slightly differently. Uh, Fabinho's in. He just has to play every game. Uh, and I'm sticking with Thiago. I think he's in particularly good form at the moment and, and, and has, has, has quickly become a very key player um, over the last few weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping faith of Naby Keita. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed with him yesterday. I feel like uh, Jordan Henderson has started uh, ever so slightly to start uh, slipping down the pecking order, but I I feel um, he may have a role to play against Newcastle. So I've kind of gone with the reverse, really. And Keita, Keita to play tomorrow uh, and, and Henderson maybe to get a start on Saturday. OK, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, Gorsley then, front three. Uh, well, if it, we're assuming that Firmino's still carrying that foot injury and he's not going to be fit enough to start. I think, he, I think he might recall Diaz, actually, and, and bring Jota out. Jota had one of those games where he doesn't really tend to do a whole lot. I thought he worked really hard, and he put Evans' defence under a lot of pressure, closing them down and forcing them into just hoofing it long every chance that they could. Didn't give them an opportunity to build up from the back. But other than that, he, he was kind of a little bit off the boil in terms of creating a, creating chances. So, um, yeah, I'll bring Jota out, and Diaz can start for me, and Manny's down the middle. OK, Charlotte, what do you think? Yeah, I think the same as that, to be honest. I think Jota didn't really, he didn't really do much yesterday. And Diaz, obviously, when he came on, he was great. Um, 
and that that three of Diaz, Mane down the middle, and Salah, it's it's been working. So I think that'll be what what Klopp goes for. Okay, and Rich yourself. It's quite mad, isn't it? Because it doesn't seem that long ago we were talking about the form of Diogo Jota and how he was possibly the first the first name on the team sheet up front. But um, things move quickly in football, don't they? And and I'd have to agree with uh, Gorsty and Charlotte and say I, I think I think it's the same thing. I think Jota will miss out uh, with Mane down the middle, Salah in his usual position, and the uh, exciting Luis Diaz. Uh, on on the left hand side, who uh, again I feel, especially with a start, could be a player that really causes Villarreal the most problems on Wednesday evening. I mean, not my position to to tinker with the team, but I'd, I'd, I'd start Jota and give Mane a rest just ahead of the the trip to Newcastle. But we'll have to wait and see. I said that uh, yesterday, and that never happened. So no, exactly. <laughs> I, I say a lot of things on this podcast, Rich, that never happened. So uh, that's just the way it is. Let's go, run through our match predictions. Then, Gorsley, you go first. Then, Charlotte and, and Rich, you can finish us off. What's the score going to be? Yeah, it's it's a bit a bit like the Benfica game where you kind of want to tempt fate and say get the first leg done and dusted, and you can rest easy for the second leg. But the semi-finals of the Champions League, I think that's asking a, a real. Well, probably asking too much, isn't it? So, um, I'd just be delighted with, with any kind of win. Let's say 2-0 Liverpool. Charlotte? Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. OK, and Rich? I think Liverpool can keep a clean sheet. Um, I feel like I'm tempting fate by offering a higher scoreline than two. So, I'm going to be humble. <laughs> and I'm going to say 2-0 Liverpool. 2-0 to the Reds. We'll have to wait and see how it does play out. Of course, plenty of build-up to come. Jurgen Klopp's press conference will come on Tuesday in the game itself on Wednesday. Stick across the Liverpool Echo and here on the Blood Red channel as well. As I say, plenty of build-up to come across our digital output. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorse, Charlotte Coates and Rich Garnett, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.